Sounds like an AA meeting, doesn't it? <laughs> We're so glad that you're here today, and I've got some bad news and some good news. The bad news is today is the last message in this series on the seven habits. I have to say that probably of all the series we've ever done, uh, this series has probably gotten the most feedback. So I want to say thank you to everyone for your thoughts, your ideas, uh, the things that you've communicated with me. I've appreciated it so much. Now, the good news is this is not the last you've heard of this. In fact, you're going to be hearing about this uh, for the rest of your life if you stay in our church. But we believe that these seven habits are what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to just remind everybody, because I don't want to have any confusion, I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. These seven habits, the practice of these seven habits is not what gets you into heaven. A lot of people have that wrong idea. They think that they have to work for their salvation. There's nothing to be further from the truth. Nobody can earn their salvation. The only thing that you can do in order to be right with God, the only, way, the only thing that you can do to, um, to earn your place in heaven, if you want to put it that way, is, by, is, is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. So it's, it can't be earned. It's by faith and faith alone. The scripture is very clear about that. So some of you will say then, well, then what are these seven habits all about? If all I have to do is put my faith in Jesus, why do I have to worry about the seven habits? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. These seven habits, if you want to put it like this, are the evidence that you are, in fact, a Christ follower. A disciple is, in fact, somebody who follows someone. And in our case, as Christians... We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We put him first. We recognize that we need to walk in his steps. In fact, that's what he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Um, if any of you want to be my follower, Jesus says, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You'll notice it says, turn from your selfish ways. How many understand today that by nature we are self-centered? Everybody understands that? A few honest people? A few people want to admit that. The fact of the matter is, is we're born this way. In fact, that's why we've got marriage problems. That's why we've got family problems. That's why we've got community problems. That's why we've got, we've got problems in the Middle East. Why we've got problems around the world. It's because by nature, human beings are self-centered. Now listen, the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to turn that around. He's come to show us a new way to live. And it's a way that is selfless not selfish. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a follower, you need to do what I'm doing. And so here's what you need to know. These seven habits that we've been sharing with you over the past few weeks are all the practices of Jesus Christ. The first habit, in case you were not here for it, is that we need to have a daily walk with God. Walk with God every day. And that means to pray, read your Bible, but you're communicating with God. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, I think verse 33, while it was still dark, Jesus Christ got up very early in the morning to go and do what? To meet with God. So God, Jesus himself walked with God daily. He communed with God, and he invites us to do the same thing. And then we look at the next habit, which is to go to church every week. Now, some of you are going to say, ah, but Pastor, Jesus didn't go to church because there were no churches back then. Well, that's not true. Um, can I just remind everybody that the word church simply means a gathering. 
And Jesus did go to the gathering every week. And his day was called going to the synagogue. And the Bible is clear that Jesus was in the habit of going to the synagogue uh, every week. It was, as, as it says, it was his custom. So we do this every week, and we do it for, for our own spiritual well-being. And here's what you've heard me say many times. Show me somebody who stops going to church or who, whose attendance is sporadic, and I'm going to show you somebody who's probably falling away. They're probably in trouble spiritually. Going to church every Sunday keeps you on track. The third thing is to be holy moment by moment. Remember I said we make some 35,000 decisions in the course of the day? And not every one of them is moral, but many of them are. But here's what you need to understand, because a lot of people have a wrong understanding of holiness. They think that holiness just simply means I don't do any bad things. I don't drink, I don't smoke, don't chew tobacco, don't go with girls who chew tobacco, don't dance, and, and on and on and on it goes. Okay, so here's what you need to know, because <laughs> my dad, my dad grew, grew up in, you know, in, in a day when people were really holy, but they had the wrong idea of what holiness was. They thought it was simply not doing a lot of things. Maybe some of you grew up that way, I don't know. So my dad had this idea that to be holy means all he has to do is stop smoking and stop drinking and everything's cool. No, that's exactly right. Now, I'm going to say this. Uh, that might be what you have to do. But listen to this. Listen. The Bible says that Jesus was holy. In fact, it says he was completely without sin. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 22. He was, he, had, he was sinless. But listen, that is not the full definition of holiness. To be holy means that you're set apart or set aside for God's purposes. Now listen to this. What does Jesus say to his followers? He says, my food or, or my meat is to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. This, my friends, is the, is a, is the most accurate description of what holiness is. It means that you are doing God's will all the time. Interesting, isn't it? Because suddenly now we move from the realm of just not breaking rules. We move to a whole new realm where we are doing God's will. That's what true holiness is. And so moment by moment, you're making a decision to do what Jesus would do. Really important that you understand that. And we're going to hear more about that in the days to come. Fourthly, you need to be in a small group. What's the first thing that Jesus did when he started his ministry? He started a small group. Does anybody know the name of that small group? The 12, the 12, the disciples. Those 12 disciples, they started a small group. And look at, through that small group, Jesus Christ literally turned the world upside down. The fifth thing we find Jesus doing uh, is he, he is serving, constantly serving, serving God, serving others. What does Jesus say about himself? The Son of Man did not come to serve but to serve, that's right, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he came to die for us. So Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And he says, now this is what it means to follow him, that we become servants. And then last week we talked about being disciples or making disciples. And in fact, we said that the very last command that Jesus gave was to go, in fact, make disciples. And that's what Jesus did. For three years, he spent time with 12 guys discipling them. And these 12 disciples then turned the whole world around. Now, today I want to talk to you about the seventh and final habit. 
And I know some of you are thinking, well, what are, you're, you're missing out some habits. What about the habit of loving people? Because doesn't the Bible say we should love people? Isn't that one of the great commandments, to love God and love others? Can I just say this? These seven, seven habits, they actually cover all of that. It covers the great commandments. The great commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. Those are the two great commands. And it actually covers the great commission, which is going to all the world to make disciples. So these seven habits, folks, when you practice them, you are actually most like Jesus Christ. So what is the seventh habit? And uh, some might say, I've left the best to last. And some of you might say, you've left the worst to last. The seventh habit, seventh habit is, in fact, give. I'm going to tell you, a lot of people, they don't like to hear about that. In fact, some people will say, every time I come to church, that's all they talk about. Okay, just chill out right now, okay? And don't, don't get upset, and don't prejudge anything. Just sit quietly and listen to what I have to say. I think, I think that by the time you leave here this morning, you will be really, really pumped up about this. So, in the spirit of, of this seventh habit, we prepared, pre- prepared a gift for you. It's a bookmark. A bookmark for your Bible. You can take a couple of them. You can put one up on your fridge if you want. Put one in your Bible. Um, put it wherever you like. It's a reminder of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So it's the seven habits with some scripture references there. It's all there to remind you what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. <laughs> now, you're welcome. Thanks. I got to thank you out of that. That was great. Now, nothing, nothing describes God better than that word give. It's the very essence of who he is. Everybody understands that? For God so loved the world that he, what? His only son. That's right. You know that. And Jesus loved the world so much that he gave his life. God gave his son, Jesus gave his life. Now here's what you need to understand. That the very essence of who we are as believers, as Christ followers, is we are givers. That's what it means to follow Christ, is that you give, you share. You're the first one to sign up to share to give. A lot of people don't like to hear about this. They, 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 they don't like the subject. But here's what... You need to hear. And this comes from Jesus Christ himself. And here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And here goes. Give, read it with me. Give and you will receive. You will be given much, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. There's two things this morning that you need to know about giving. And the first thing is this, is that it is, in fact, a command. A lot of people don't know that. But Jesus is, in fact, calling us to give. Now, i got to share with you a passage of Scripture here. I'm going to share, you, share with you the context of this passage. And we look at verse 36 of Luke chapter 6. And Jesus says, you must be compassionate, uh, just as your Father is compassionate. In the Greek, it's, you must show pity, even as your Father in heaven shows us pity. Anybody here need Christ's? pity? Anybody here need Christ's compassion? I know I do. And then verse 37, Jesus says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. And then he says, do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. And then he says, forgive others, 
and you will be forgiven. And then he says, give, and you will receive. Now, the thing that you need to understand about every one of these verses and, and, and statements is that these are commands. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. These are actual commands of Christ. If you look at this in the Greek, you will see that, in fact, this is spoken in the imperative voice, which simply means it's a command. There should be an exclamation mark after the word give. Give, Jesus is saying. Just imagine Jesus raising his voice a little bit, putting a little bit of oomph in his voice, and he's saying, give. And you say, well, Pastor Allen, what, what, what else is he saying there? Well, he's also making the, telling us that we need to be compassionate. And that's a command. Be compassionate. And he's saying, and do not judge. There's another command. And here's another command. Um, do not condemn others. And another command, forgive others. And then this command, give. No. The idea of, of, that we see here, the idea that permeates this passage of Scripture, is that we are to be a generous people. We are to have a heart of generosity. We are to be generous with the sinner, with the one who fails, with the one who messes up, with the one who makes mistakes, with the one who has trespassed against us, the one who, who has really, really made a, a real mess of their life. Jesus says to these people, you need to give. You need to give compassion. You need to give forgiveness. You need, you need not to condemn them. You need not to judge them. You need to embrace them. You, in fact, need to give. You see the ethos of, of this Christian faith of ours. It's all about sharing. It's all about giving. It's all about reaching out to others. It's all about caring for other people, even as God has cared for us. Give. Because it's, it's the most practical expression of love. Jesus said, um, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we live in a country, in a society, in a culture that tells us that it's more blessed to receive than to give. And we live in a country where everybody basically is living like that. They're, they're, they're taking care of their own needs first. They're taking care of their own wishes, their own desires, their own longings. And credit cards are charged to the hilt as we try so desperately to find happiness and fulfillment. You've heard or seen the bumper sticker, shop till you drop. Maybe you've been living that way this week, I don't know. But I can tell you this. It might bring a temporary satisfaction, a temporary joy, until the credit card statement comes in. And now you're thrown into a deep depression. You think, how, how can I make myself feel better? I know, I'll go shop. <laughs> and we go and get the credit card out again and, and, and get some temporary relief. Now listen to me. What you and I need to understand is that Jesus Christ has come to show us how to live because by nature, our default setting is to be very self-centered. It's me first. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else wants. I gotta take care of me first. I'm looking out for number one. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need him to teach us because we don't get it right. So Jesus comes along and says, listen, folks, listen. It's more blessed to give than to get. When you give, that's when you're going to be happy. If you're always trying to get, you'll never be happy. 
We need to know this. We need to be told this. Because by nature, we just don't get it. Now, uh, why do we give? Because God invites us to be partners with him in his great work of changing this world and making it a better place. God calls us to be partners with him in bringing transformation to this broken and hurting world. This is why we invite you to give to Cross Church. Because Cross Church is making a huge impact, not just on this community, but around the world. You say, well, Pastor, you've got grandiose ideas. You sure think highly of your church, don't you? You know what? If it was just my opinion and my observation, I'd keep my mouth shut. But it's, it's what I've been told. And you're, I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But let me just tell you one thing that a police officer told me. He said, you know, since this church has been in this community... And since this church has grown in this community, this, the crime rate has actually gone down in this community. Someone say amen to that, please. Amen. This is why you invest in the church. This church not only touches the senior citizens and youth and children and ladies and Sunday morning services, but we also are making a difference around the world. We have supported Village of Hope, which is, uh, which is in uh, a great part of, of Africa, and more specifically in, in Burundi. We have invested in uh, Horizon Bible College, College and Seminary. We have invested in Hope for the Islands and Jesus Reigns Ministries. Do you know that this church raised $15,000 for relief in the Philippines, folks? $15,000, that was just a few weeks ago. Yeah, go ahead, clap. We did that as a team. It's so cool to see Greg write a check, $9,000 for Jesus Reigns Ministry so that they can bring relief, another 6000 for Hope for the Island. just blows my mind. This church support someone like Max Thunder, Andrew and Jimmy and Adeline's dad. He was uh, in my office, or in, in the office uh, just a few weeks ago. He says, I, Pastor Allen, I need you to pray about something. I said, really, what's that? He goes, well, you know, I just feel a vision to, to bring some care packages, some hampers to some of the families in the north that are, you know, the, the widows and, and uh, children that have nothing. It'd be so nice if we could make a difference. He said, Pastor Allen, could you just, could you pray with me on this that, uh, that, that we could just get the funds together to do that? And I said, no, no, I'm not going to pray. I'm kind of shocked. I mean, what pastor doesn't pray? Well, I pray, but I didn't need to pray about this. And you know why? Because I knew that this church could, could meet that, that need. I said, Max, I don't need to pray about that. We can do that. So he's kind of stunned for a moment, not sure exactly how to respond to that. But then he started to really laugh. And if you know Max, you know that this is a guy that loves to laugh. But it, 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 it clicked. Here's the thing, folks. You know, we are so pious and so religious, and oh, we're going to pray about this. Listen, don't bother praying about something if you've got the ability to meet the need. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Could you imagine if when people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need help, I need healing. And Jesus said, well, I'll, I'll go home and pray about it. He didn't do that. He just said, be healed. Be healed. Go on your way. Your sins are forgiven. Everything's cool. He's raised from the dead. That's what Jesus did. Now listen to me. Listen, listen. This is so cool. 
Jesus said that when I leave this earth, you're going to do greater works than I am done. You'll do greater works than me. Listen to me. The only way that you and I are truly going to be used by Jesus Christ to do even greater works than he did is if we understand the call to follow in his steps. Jesus wants to use you. He wants you to make a difference in the people that you work with. He wants you to make a difference in your community. He wants you to make a difference in the north. He wants you to make a difference in Burundi. He wants you to make a difference in this church. Cross Church has got a reputation for generosity. And any ministry that is connected to this church gets blessed first. That's what we do. Elaine and Brian, when they came to our church, Hope for the Island, they, I mean, they've said this to me repeatedly. They, this, they cannot believe uh, the way that they've been loved, embraced, and treated, and provided for. And it's an absolute delight and thrill. Same thing with Alden and Rubina, fresh back from their missions trip. Let's just give them a hand there, Alden and Rubina. God bless you. Dennis Weeb, pioneering and, and leading this work in Burundi, the Village of Hope. Another one, let's give him a hand. <laughs> Folks, listen to me. We are partners with God because we have heard the command of Jesus to give. And so we give willingly, joyfully, happily. It's what Jesus has called us to do. Now, for so many people, Christianity can be a real downer because they don't really understand what it's about. Now, the, the, the first half of my message is the difficult half because I'm saying, Jesus is commanding you to give. You must give. And, you know, for those of us who love Jesus, we're saying, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this because Jesus commands it. But now here's the good news. I, I've, only, I've only talked about the first word in this verse, Give. By the way, in your Bible, put an exclamation mark after the word give. Okay, so here's the thing. There's, there's more to this verse. And now it gets really, really exciting. Give and you will receive. You will be given much. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will spill into your lap. The way you give others is the way God will give to you. Now here's what a lot of us don't understand. Coming from... Uh, a culture that would understand these. I, I need to explain this because this is not really part of uh, our, our day-to-day life. Jesus is, of course, talking about a harvest. When the harvest comes in and you put it in its container and you shake it so that it settles, Jesus is saying, you shake that, shake that container with all the blessing and all that grain, and it will, not only, it will not only compact, but even after that, it will still run over, and it will still spill into your lap because there's so much. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart today because God wants to do that for you. How many would like to have that kind of provision in their life? How many believe in God? Most of us do. Some don't, okay? I don't know why you're here, but... (laughs) No, I'm glad you're here. Listen, how many believe in God? We all believe in God. Now, let me ask you this question. How many believe that God is good? How many believe... Oh, good. How many believe He's good all the time? Beautiful. Now, let me ask you another question. How many believe that God keeps His promises? Okay, very good, very good. Are you sure you believe that? Because <laughs> if you believe it, then this verse is going to just blow you out of the water. 
Jesus has made a promise to you that if you give, you will receive. If you give, you will be given much. And not just a little bit, and not just, not just the amount that you gave, but in fact, Jesus is saying, you're going to get back a lot more than you give. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will spill into your lap the way you give to others is the way God will give to you. So here's the thing. If you're stingy in sharing with others and meeting the needs of others, then that's what you're going to get in return. The Apostle Paul understood this, and he says to the Christians in Corinth, remember this, says Paul, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now listen to me. This is... The, the principle of the farm, if you will. Whatever you sow is what you will reap. So if you are, are generous in your sowing, you will receive a reap, a generous harvest. Do you know that we had to send missionaries um, to different parts of the world that have uh, maybe not been a- acquainted with farming as we understand farming here in the West. And here's what these Uh, agricultural missionaries, if you want to call them that, here's what they discovered. They discovered that, that, that those who were learning how to do farming were being stingy in sowing seed. They didn't want to put too many seeds in the ground because they were afraid that, you know, they're wasting it. How many people feel like that when they're giving money away that they're wasting their money? Well, this is what these farmers were doing. They thought, if I put this, this seed in the ground, I'm wasting seed, so I better not put too much down, and uh, I'll just put it, in, put it in sparingly. And then what was happening is that they were reaping sparingly. They weren't having enough, and they couldn't, under, they couldn't connect the dots until these agricultural missionaries went over and showed them how to do it right. In some cases, in some cases, these, uh, these new farmers who were just learning the art of agriculture, they were eating the seed. <laughs> they were hungry, and they thought, well, you know what, I've got to eat something, so I'll eat that. So rather than trying to find out another, another source of food, they, they actually ate the, the seed, and so consequently, they had nothing to plant. And, and every farmer knows that you haven't got seed to plant, you ain't a farmer anymore. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart now, folks. Because here's what so many of us are doing. We're eating the seed that God has given us. We've been, we've been stingy. We've been unwilling to plant. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we've been stingy with God and stingy with church and stingy with those in need. It's because we really don't trust God. That's what it comes down to. We really, really don't believe that God means what he says. Now, you all put your hand up when I said, do you believe in God? And you all put your hand up when I said, do you believe that God is good? And you all put your hand up when I said, do you believe God keeps his promises? (laughs) The question is, do you really believe it? I I know this for sure. I know that God wants to take care of you. I know this for sure. I know that God wants to bless you. He wants to bless your business. He wants to take care of you and meet all your needs. He wants to surprise you at his faithfulness. But so many people, when it comes right down to it, really don't really trust him. They don't really, really believe that God will keep his word. I've discovered there's, there's four main reasons why people don't give. And the first one, of course, is greed. Jesus says, for some people, money 
is their God. And Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. Rick Warren, he's, he and his wife made a decision that when they started the ministry, they were going to give 10%, and then they were going to increase it by 1% every year that they were in the ministry. And as it turns out, he wrote a book that turned out to be a bestseller and actually blew him away. He wasn't expecting that. And he ended up, he ended up making so much money off the sale of his book that he and his wife had to have a, have a, a meeting to discuss this and say, well, what are we going to do with this? So here's the decision they came up with. Because they're now literally, they're getting millions. Here's the decision he came up with. We are going to write a check back to the church for all the money they've ever paid us over 20 years. Every nickel that they earned from that church all went back to the church. And then they made the next decision. They said, we will not move out of our house. We've been here for 20 years. It's comfortable. Why should we move? We're staying where we are. We're not moving on up. And we're not going to get a new vehicle. We don't need a new vehicle. It works just fine. And we don't need all this money, so what we're going to do is we're going to reverse tithe. You know what reverse tithing is? We're going to give 90% and live on 10%. Now, some of you here today will say, well, Pastor, God bless me like that. I live like that too. Really? Because here's what I know, and here's what the Bible says, that those who are faithful with the small things will be entrusted with the greater things. If God can trust you with a little, then he can trust you with more. And some of you here today are saying, you know, I'm just praying that God will bless my business. I'm praying that God will, will bless me in my job. I'm praying that I'll get that promotion. And, you know, pastor, as soon as God blesses me with this stuff, then I'm going to give. And can I just tell you something, folks? It doesn't work like that. Because here's what I know from experience. I'm going to be totally honest with you. What I know from experience is that there's never enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's never enough. You know, I got to put my money aside for, my, for the weddings. I got three kids. I got to put my money aside for my retirement. I got to put my money aside for the kids' education. And you think, man, if I just get all this stuff put aside, then I'll be able to do what I need to do. And folks, that simply is just a poverty mentality. And God wants you to have an abundant mentality that says, I believe that God will provide for me, meet all my needs, and that I'll have nothing lacking. And I can tell you, Gloria and I have lived like this, and we have seen God provide for us in miraculous ways. When we first started at, started at this church, this church really couldn't afford to pay us. We lived on a, uh, in an older home uh, over on Elgin, hadn't been renovated for some years, and uh, we had somebody came by, it was a, actually a Christian lady who had a florist. Uh, she personally wanted to deliver some flowers to our house, and she came into the house, she looked around, and she said, oh, you poor kids. I, was, I thought we had a nice house. <laughs> and she felt sorry for us. What she didn't know is that we shouldn't have been in that house in the first place. Because we came, when we came home from Greece, we didn't have a nickel to our name. And you've heard me tell the story of how uh, I, was, I figured out a way to borrow money from our insurance company, the, the equity that we had in the company, and then it went bankrupt, and so we actually got our money out of it, and it was enough for a down payment on a house. It was only $2,000, so it tells you how much I paid for the house. But we were over the moon, God's provision. And we'd, at Christmas time, there'd be a turkey on our doorstep, not a live one, 
someone decided that they needed to do that. And we'd sometimes have groceries left on our doorstep. Gloria wasn't, wasn't nursing at the time. But God met our every need, and we, were, we tried to be the very best givers in the church. We were by no means the top earners in the church, but we were the best givers in the church. And that's, here's why. Because we believe that our job was to invest in the kingdom of God and to do what God wanted us to do. And here's what I discovered. Being faithful with small things, being faithful with what God has given us, God has been seen fit to increase that. And I'm going to tell you this, we don't get turkeys on our doorstep anymore. And we don't get Pentecostal handshakes anymore. Remember the Pentecostal handshake? If someone comes up to you, shakes your hand, and there's, there's some money in that, in that handshake to bless the pastor. In the olden days, pastors were, were paid with chickens and sheep and cows and, you know, a side of beef or whatever, or eggs or milk and... And they were able to live like that. Um, and as we got a little bit more sophisticated. It was a Pentecostal handshake. <laughs> this morning I was talking about how Klaus Mueller, Dennis Barrett's father-in-law, came up to me after I talked about that a few weeks ago, shook my hand, and, and then it was a loony. <laughs> and we got a good laugh out of that. And so this morning, this morning after the service, Young David Hartree comes up to me with a Pentecostal handshake, and this time it's a toonie. <laughs> oh. Okay, so here's the thing, folks. We, we're at the point in our life we don't need that anymore, and we're not asking for it, looking for it, don't want it. Um, we're in a position now where we can be the one giving that, the handshake and blessing. I want to say this to you. God has never, ever, ever failed us We've always had what we've needed. And even beyond that, folks, God has given us the wisdom that we need to be able to enjoy and live what some would call a prosperous life. But I'm going to tell you, there's a price tag attached to that kind of blessing, and I'll tell you what it is. You need to give. You need to share. And God wants to bless you. He wants to pour his provision on your life. He wants you to prosper, even as you partner with him in prospering his kingdom. We have a, a, a young man who goes to our church. He's generally in the first service, but he says, Pastor, my great dream is to someday be a, a, a philanthropist. Now, I've got to be careful because I always want to say philanderer, but <laughs> it's philanthropist. Okay, so if I say philanderer, don't, don't start giggling and... Philanthropist. He wants to be a philanthropist. A philanthropist is somebody who's actually able to give large chunks of money away for strategic purposes. This is his dream. This is his goal. And I said, so what have you done to begin the process? He says, well, I already am giving. I'm giving, to, I'm giving my tithe, 10% to the church. But even beyond that now, I'm giving a large chunk of money to Village of Hope, Burundi, partnering with Dennis, and then a number of other projects and he says, I've never been so excited. I've never been so turned on. I've never been so thrilled in my whole life. And here's what he shared with me. He said, here's something that my mentor said to me. He said, Daniel, your heart will, will be like your hand. If it hangs on to the money with a tight fist, that is how hard your heart will be. But if you open your palm to others, your heart will be protected and it will stay soft. I thought that was Fantastic. Because so many of us are so worried about finances, so worried about money, 
and so, so uptight and anxious and consequently greedy that we're unable to share. And I'm going to tell you this. If you're unable to share, if you're going to be greedy, then folks, what you literally do is you stop the blessing of God in your life. Let me know to you that God wants to bless you. He does. After the service this morning, I had a few young men talk to me uh, about, about my message. And uh, Scotty, where are you? Pop up here real quick, Scott. Can you do that real quick? And while Scott's coming, uh, let me tell you about Nicholas. Nicholas says to me, that's my son, by the way. He comes up to me and he says, Dad, that was one of the best sermons I have ever heard you preach. I said, really? On giving? A sermon on giving to the work of God? He goes, it is. It was the most exciting thing in the world. And he's got this massive grin on his face. Come here, son. <laughs> and I said, why are you so happy? Why are you so smiling? He goes, Dad, because today is the first time I was able to give a tithe on the money that I earned at work. And he said, Dad, I didn't just tithe. I, I, I even gave an offering. I said, how do you feel? He says, I can't explain it to you, Dad. It's the best feeling in the whole wide world. Thanks for what you preached to me this morning. Well, that's a son talking to his father. And then I talked to this young man, who you may have seen in the video clip. And uh, just, just quickly, Scott, tell us what's happened in your life recently. Right, well, I got uh, a job. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I got a job yesterday. I've been looking for one for... Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> Think how bad somebody who's job hunting in here is going to feel now. Think about Talk it. slowly. <laughs> uh, I got a job yesterday. I've been looking for a long time. And uh, I think it was when I really started giving that all of a sudden stuff kind of started to work out and things fell into place. And I don't think without it, it wouldn't have come, away, uh, come the way it did. It wouldn't have worked out the way it did. So what happened? You got, I got a job. I got a job, yeah. Did you get a job? At the uh, Olive Garden washing dishes. I want you to hear live stories. Scott said, you know, I wasn't making any money and, you know, I was giving such small amounts based on what I had that uh, he says, there wasn't even any sense putting it in an envelope. <laughs> well, can I just say this to you folks? Um, once you've discovered the joy of giving and experienced God's outpouring of blessing on your life, it changes your life. You'll, Scott, you'll never be the same again, right? You're going to be the best giver in this church, right? <laughs> He didn't say yes, he said okay. <laughs> Listen, we're laughing, and this is good, because the Bible says to be a cheerful giver. And in fact, the word cheerful in Greek actually means hilarious. Uh, be a hilarious giver. Uh, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. No, listen, listen. Giving is a great joy. And listen to me. You and I have been created in the image of God, and it's when you and I give that we are most like God. Did you know that? And that's why it's so thrilling and so exciting. I want to close with this. Horizon College and Seminary was represented here a few weeks ago. President Jeremy Martini was here, and he shared with us. And um, just sharing what he wanted to do. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I, I, got, I was so excited, so impressed with what he wanted to do. Uh, I was praying for him one day, and I felt, I felt God really speaking to my heart. And God was saying, Alan, you need to put on a banquet for Horizon College and Seminary. 
And uh, so I, I phoned Jeremy and I said, Jeremy, I, I just got to share something with you. I, I really feel God speaking to my heart that Cross Church needs to help facilitate uh, a banquet to raise funds for, for your new vision for the college. I'm going to tell you folks, this new vision for this college will be the first in Canada, nothing like it before, but it will be, it'll be training for ministry unlike anything that's ever been done before. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that for now. But to get back to my story here about, about giving. I said, we want to put on a banquet for you. And Jeremy, here's what I feel God's laying on my heart. We need to, we need to raise $100,000 for you. I heard crickets on the other end of the line. Just total silence. And uh, I said, Jeremy, we, we really believe in what you're doing. And we believe that Bible college gives absolutely the best ROI. Anybody know what ROI stands for? Return on your investment. The best return on your charitable investment is going to be through the Bible college. And here's why. Jesus said to go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Guess what Bible college is doing? It's, it's training men and women to be makers of disciple makers. Fantastic return on your investment. And so it, it captured my imagination. It got me excited. And I said, Jeremy, we've, I've talked to a number of people, and we have already got to the place where we're practically at the $50,000 mark. Yes. People who are excited and who are on board with this. I thought he was going to cry. I got an amazing email from him just, uh, just a few days ago. It said that he's, he's, uh, he's appreciative beyond anything we could ever imagine. He phoned the, this, the general superintendent in Toronto and told him about what we were doing. And then he said to the general superintendent, um, you know, we'd like to have you, you know, speak at, at maybe Calvary Temple or one of the churches in the city here. And he said, uh, actually, I want to speak at Cross Church. He'd never heard of or seen anything like this, a church this size, in what some would consider a poor community. This church has, a, general, has, a, has a, a reputation as being generous and making a difference, not just here, but around the world. This is, folks, what we're all about here. We're all about sharing. We're all about giving and making a difference for the widow, the orphan, those who are impoverished, the homeless, those who are victims of crime and terror, and genocide, we're there. Those who are victims of typhoons and disasters, we're there. That's what Cross Church is about. Because we are representatives of Jesus Christ himself. Would you stand with me, please? And we're going to pray. Father, we want to say thank you so much for the privilege that's ours to live in this country with such abundance. God, give us the grace, we pray, to be a people who are generous. When we hear of the great need around us, we're tempted to think, oh, I, I, can't, I, we, I can't meet that need. It's too big. But if all of us join together and contribute just a small amount, that together we're able to meet the need. God, give us a vision for what we can accomplish together. I thank you, God, that this church has now raised and given away over a million dollars. Unbelievable, but we are so grateful to you, O oh God, for the privilege. 
Now, Lord, we pray that you would take and use our gifts to further your work. Give us faith to believe what you've, what you've said here today. Give and you will receive. And not just in small amounts, but in generous amounts. God, that's what we're looking to you for today, for your rich provision. Because we believe you and we trust you. And we pray these things in your name. And everyone said it with me. Tell someone beside you, go give.